What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is our slash Tales from Tech Support. So I was supposed to do this video yesterday so that it uploaded today, but, you know, you guys know me by now. Nothing in my life ever goes quite like I planned it. As most of you know, Bubba, a.k.a. Meredith, she's working on separating from the Marines right now. Uh, this is her last week. She should be home sometime tomorrow for good. So she left the other day from here to go back to... Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, uh, to start her process, you know, or finish her process. She's been going through the process for like a year now and all was going well. She made it there. No worries. One of the last things you have to do as you're finishing up your separation slash retirement is you need to turn in your medical and dental records. You know, just a generic red folder full of records. And we got a phone call yesterday from Bubba it said, uh, yeah, I left the folders in the camper here in Maryland. So she didn't need them for today. She needs them for tomorrow to turn in by lunchtime, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. So what are our options? I could try to overnight it, but it doesn't mean she's going to get it because, you know, most bases have their own postal system and it's even less efficient than the regular postal system, if you can imagine that. So at 5.30 yesterday afternoon... Me and my son-in-law, Alex, we hopped in his car and did a turn and burn to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. <laughs> we left here right around 5.30 and got back here at 6.30 this morning. So needless to say, I didn't do a recording. But it was all set up and ready to go, so no better time than the present, right? Now that I've had some sleep. All right, enough of me motor-mouthing. Let's, uh, let's read some stories. Where's my package? I'm on call for two days this week for some extra Christmas recovery cash. They put a couple of us on these shifts because we're basically just there for emergencies and to tell customers, no, we're not going to update your products on New Year's Eve for you. Wait until we're back from the holidays, please. This morning, we've gotten several complaints from our Southern customers about shipping delays for their RMAs, urging us to do whatever we can to ensure they're getting shipped out ASAP. Problem is that we're primarily based in the northern parts of North America, so we've been getting snowstorms like crazy. Their products are shipped, but they're stuck in the depots of our shipping partners, some of which are buried under snow right now. There are people stuck waiting for flights home. Some New Yorkers have died due to the severity of the storm and its impact on local infrastructure. But people are freaking out because their packages aren't arriving on time, and they need to find a workaround in the meantime. These are professionals too, not like your average tantrum-throwing customer service nightmare. End of rant, just another weird thing I encounter at my job that makes me question humanity. I get it, OP. Uh, we're selfish. As, as a species, we are selfish. We seem to be hardwired that way. I'm not sure why. Um, you know, look out for old number one, right? And you're not experiencing weather events and things like that. You're not thinking about the snow and stuff and where it's coming from or where it travels through. You just know you got a package coming and it's supposed to be there a certain time and it's not can't really blame them too much for that now if you explain it to them say listen the winter storms really got us messed up you're just gonna have to be patient uh and then they continue to throw their little mini tantrums about not having their packages then well f them but like i said we're all guilty of only thinking of ourselves and not really putting the puzzle pieces together in our brains when we're waiting on packages and things like that so i sort of get it the quest for security and the stalling vendor. Years ago, I worked at a public university as a sysadmin and general tech support person. 
Our department had been trying to set up our own student computer lab for a while, but budget and space requirements had forced postponements over and over. Finally, we managed to nail down enough funds to pay for the remodeling of some office space into a computer lab and to refurbish the new lab with desks and computers. We weren't too far into the planning process when the problem of student access came up. University policy was to ensure most buildings from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, plus weekends. This meant a person needed a physical key to enter, which would be problematic to say the least. We allowed graduate students to get keys if they needed access to assist with research, but it required them to pay a deposit and several levels of faculty approval using various forms, which was a total pain. Students were supposed to turn in keys when they left to get their deposit back, but often they skipped this step, so the number of missing keys grew over time. Providing access for our entire student group would require hundreds of keys, instead of the 10 to 15 we managed for grad students. I talked to a coworker in another building about how they managed student access, and he told me that his department had to have their entire building re-keyed by the university locksmiths a couple years prior due to the high number of lost keys, and it had cost $50,000. Oh my gosh. It was clear we needed a keycard system as a solution. I asked around and found there were a couple of departments using standalone systems since up to this point, there was no university standard for keycards. Departments had just decided to find a solution and bought one. One of the departments had a scalable solution. If we bought the same system, we could piggyback off their server, which would remove our need to admin another service. We'd just have to update the database for our users, which was fairly easy. My co-sysadmin, Jay, and I called the vendor and one of the sales force was out to see us within days. We walked our building showing which doors would need to be accessed, what groups we needed managed, and which server needed to host our users. And basically, we found our project was pretty small from the vendor's point of view. They were used to doing entire buildings or groups of buildings, so our situation was no problem. We got a quote for the entire project within another couple of days and went through the hoops of getting a purchase order. We were really on fire to get this going as it was the final step in setting up our new student computer lab. The university purchasing folks mailed the PO to the vendor, and I faxed over a copy. Yes, this was quite a while ago. The sales guy confirmed they got the PO, and I asked when the work could be scheduled. At this point, I discovered I made a pretty big mistake. I should have included a work to completed by some date. The sales guy informed me that scheduling was under control of the company owner, David. Okay, can I talk to David? Oh, he's out of office. We'll take a message. I left a message and heard nothing for the next few days. I called again. David was not in the office. Would I like to leave a message? This went on for a couple weeks, with everyone getting more and more pissed off. The remodeling work was done on our lab and we were getting furniture installed. The computers had been delivered and we were almost ready to go live. My coworker Jay suggested we cancel the PO with David's company and go back to square one. I wasn't sure how this worked, so I checked with purchasing and they said it was pretty easy. I really didn't want to start over, but Jay and I checked with the folks involved on our end and they agreed that while it would be a pain, it was okay with them to cancel. So Jay called David's company. Nope, still not in. So Jay just left a message that if we didn't get a date for the project to be completed by EOB, the PO would be canceled. Jay's phone rang about 10 minutes later. David was on the line, apologizing. Things were busy. He didn't realize we were in a hurry. Blah, blah, blah. All the BS that folks hand out when they're being phoned as hell. He told us the work would be done the following week. His main installation guy would be in touch. So sorry, here's my cell phone number so you can call me directly. A team of installation techs showed up the following week. Had everything done in three days. We had some further issues since we found out our university ID cards were not compatible with the card readers on the new system, so we had to buy our own cards. 
but it turned out to be pretty cheap. We had other departments come to us for advice about adding this service over the next couple years, and you can bet we told them to make sure they get a completion date as part of the sales agreement. Yup, never sign that sales contract or give a PO until they lock in a date on that contract before you sign, or a complete buy date, something. At the very least, a start date. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had things installed or delivered and, you know, somebody didn't get a date and you're just sitting there flapping in the breeze waiting for your stuff to show up or waiting for a tech to install something and you're kind of at their mercy at that point. Uh, you've already signed the contract. I mean, you can cancel POs, but with some companies it's easier than others. It just makes things a mess all the way around if you don't get it locked in. I mean, if it's going to be six months, tell me up front it's going to be six months. If it's going to be a week, tell me up front it's going to be a week. It's not that hard. Shouldn't be anyway. An old hat. Check your cables, people. Been lurking even back when I was doing this job a few years ago. Figured I should contribute my own dumb story. So here goes. I'd been fighting back and forth for months on an old legacy computer we had hooked up to our public health hearing test booth. Every time we replaced the damn thing, the system would refuse to talk to the booths, and we were back to square one using the legacy that, at most, had another year left to chug on the HD. My public health team's been back and forth with the higher level folks because once it goes past department specific, it's out of our wheelhouse and they've been angling to have that computer replaced for the better part of two years. Finally, they get back to us with the software from the higher office that is more than a dozen versions more up to date than the legacy one that we were chugging along with. Unsurprisingly, the version we were using was pre-network update and pre-zone security network architecture. Our network security team hated working with us. I install the new PC for the third time and get port security to stop panicking, then run the software on the hearing booth. Doesn't detect the booth. Bugger. Spend an hour with the public health tech who dabbles on the side with PC gaming with me. No dice. I have to rip the setup again. And back in with the legacy computer while he reports back to the higher level folks. This goes on for about two days until finally he tells me he's got the IT department for the software and hardware on the line with him. Having planned around this and we reinstall the computer again and take another crack at it. The rep is a patient woman and even she's getting confused on why the thing isn't talking to the booth until it hits her to ask us to check the cable. I check the PC side while the tech chases it from the booth. Eventually we meet in the middle and lo and behold, there's a switch built into the cable hidden behind the desk panel. He didn't know about it and I didn't know about it, but his supervisor, as we later discover, knew about it and toggled it off without telling us. It's also explained why we didn't run into this problem with the legacy computer. Thoroughly baffled and embarrassed, I switch the thing on and we run the test. The tech puts on the headset and he gets a tone. It lives. I can feel the rep's disappointment and befuddlement, and my cheeks are warm as I hand off to the tech for calibration. I head back upstairs and wait for him to message me later, letting me know I can close the ticket out. Got roasted by my coworkers for that one for a month when our CIO saw my write-up about the situation. Oh dear. Well, to be fair, I mean, I don't know. If you didn't run all the cables yourself and set them all up, you may not even know there's a built-in switch. Um... A long time ago, I worked on school buses, mostly retrofitting new equipment to old school buses and setting up and fitting out new school buses that came directly from the manufacturer for school districts. And uh, every once in a while, you'd get a device that had an inline fuse instead of a fuse back at the fuse block. And nobody would tell you, and it didn't show on the specs. They were just pretty generic specs. They really didn't get into that much detail. And... Uh, you know, if something went wrong and didn't power up, 
either the fuse was blown or wasn't there to begin with. So you'd go to the fuse block and you knew all the wires were there. Um, yeah. And then when you put your tester to it and it shows no continuity and all that stuff. Oh, okay. So we trace the lines and somewhere buried in that bus is an inline fuse. Fabulous. I don't mind an inline fuse that's at the equipment itself. It's when they run the cable, like a power cable through the floor for like a wheelchair lift on the side of a bus. And then the inline fuse is under the floor somewhere. And then the power goes all the way back to the fuse block to just direct hook to 12 volt or something. But you know, it's, it should be either in the little cover you take off at the unit or in the fuse block. It shouldn't be under the bus, which is why it kept blowing. So yeah, a little bit of silicone and a lot of heat shrink tubing solved that one. But yeah, there was always something like that, but eh, what are you going to do? Deleting your data folder, short and sweet. You know, the players already user, please help recover my files. I was deleting before I leave. Note users retiring Friday. Me, you'll have to check recycling bin. We don't make backups of PCs. User, please do it for me. I don't know where it is. So I remote in. Nothing that they're looking for in the recycling bin. Too big. Must have just been trashed. So I go seeing what I can salvage. My docs produces an error. Pictures, videos, all the same. Me, where did you keep your files? User, C drive. Me, as in directly on the C drive in a folder? User, in users. Me. Ah, okay, so in your... The gears stop turning as I get into C slash users and don't see C slash users dumbass because they had deleted their entire user folder. It's all gone. Thankfully, only three more days until this hell user is gone. So... Right. For me, I think the worst part of this story is the fact that you know something popped up on the screen saying, Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to completely delete this user from the system? Blah, blah, blah. From users C. I don't know. People don't read. They just kind of zip through stuff and just assume it's going to be okay. Uh, nope. Laptop repair on four hours of sleep shenanigans. Context. I'm IT support in a school with one-to-one -one Chromebooks for all students. A student comes to me and says their Chromebook doesn't charge in one of the two USB-C ports. I test it, and sure enough, it doesn't charge on one side, but does on the other. I tell him I'll have it fixed by lunchtime and give him a loaner. I see something in the port and try to blow it out with canned air. Doesn't work. I open the Chromebook up. This model has a motherboard on the right and a daughter board on the left, each with soldered on USB-C. Since the daughter board is the dead one, I figure I'll just take the daughter board from a donor and swap it. I replace the daughter board and it still doesn't charge on that side. Just for kicks, I check the other side and to my horror, that side now doesn't charge either. Did I brick the motherboard while taking it apart? I now take both the motherboard out and replace it with a donor motherboard that I know works. But again, it doesn't charge. <laughs> okay. I plug the charger into my phone. No charge. But this is the exact same charger I just used a few minutes ago to verify the motherboard USB-C port was working. I unplug the charger from the power strip, plug it back in, and now it charges my phone. Phew. Well, while I have the original daughter board out of the machine, I take my tweezers and dig some crud out of the USB-C port. Probably should have done that before taking the thing apart in the first place. I put it back together with the original motherboard and daughter board and everything works great. The student should be back any time now to pick up his Chromebook. Okay, so I'm a little confused on this story. The original parts are back in and everything works. Was it just the crud in the USB-C port? And if so, was it on both sides? 
I'm confused. I don't know. Fill me in down below. Uncle Reddit's brain dead. The wrong screwdriver. I was sitting at my desk early on a Friday afternoon when my phone rang. It was Kevin. This wasn't going to go well. Kevin, I'm assembling the units for customer and one of the boards failed the testing. Me, swap out the bad board with another one. I'll look at the bad board later. Kevin, I can't, it won't come out. <laughs> Me, what? Don't touch anything, I'll be right there. I worked at a small company. Everybody had extra duties in addition to their official jobs. The head engineer was also the network admin and handled all support for network issues. The head programmer was also the sysadmin and was tech support for the servers. In addition to my official duties, I was also tech support for all issues related to assembly and testing of our product. The extra tasks kept interfering with our real jobs, so more help was needed. Enter Kevin. Kevin was hired directly by the CEO, bypassing all the unnecessary hiring procedures, such as verifying that he was competent. As far as the CEO was concerned, Kevin was some kind of golden child who could do no wrong despite all evidence to the contrary. Our company sold a specialized, expensive product. Each unit cost far more than my annual salary. It consisted of a main chassis into which multiple accessory boards could be installed. The boards locked security into place, but as extra insurance against them vibrating loose during shipping, each board was also held in place with four tiny screws. For reasons, we used PosiDrive screws. PosiDrive screws have a plus sign, recess that looks very much like the more common in the US, Phillips screw heads, except the slots are parallel instead of tapered. A Phillips screwdriver will not fit correctly, and trying to use one will likely damage either the screw head or the screwdriver. The assembly manual had very clear instructions to only use PosiDrive screwdrivers, that the screws must be tightened only by hand and they must only be tightened until fingertips snug. Each assembly workbench had a copy of the manual. A laminated full page, bright yellow, highlighted warning to only use PosiDrive screwdrivers when installing the boards was mounted at each bench in a location that would be impossible to miss. Two of the correct PosiDrive screwdrivers were attached to each assembly bench with anti-static tethers, so it would be impossible for the correct screwdriver to be out of reach when assembling a unit. Also, there was nothing in the entire lab that used Phillips screws, so every Phillips screwdriver was removed from the lab, so it would be impossible to accidentally grab the wrong one. We made sure that every multi-bit driver set in the lab contained the correct PosiDrive bits, and all the Phillips bits were removed. All powered screwdrivers were banished from the lab. Clearly it would take a very special talent to make a mistake with this part of the assembly. Kevin apparently had that talent. I entered the lab to see Kevin struggling to remove one of the screws from the bad board using a Phillips screwdriver. The screw head was completely stripped out with nothing left for the driver to grip. Not just this one, but all four screws on this board and all four screws on each of our other two boards in this chassis and on all three boards in each of the other two units in the order. Kevin had used a powered screwdriver with a removable Phillips bit to install all of the screws. <laughs> Instead of stopping when they were snug, he kept on grinding away until the screw heads were completely drilled out. All 36 of them. Where did the Phillips screwdriver come from? Kevin explained that he noticed that there were no Phillips screwdrivers in the lab, so he went to the hardware store and bought a new set for each bench. He also picked up a bunch of replaceable Phillips bits because they somehow seemed to be missing from all the sets. And he brought his own power driver from home so his hands wouldn't get tired. I had to use a tiny chisel to cut a slot into what little metal was left on each screw head so that I could get a grip on it with a tiny flathead screwdriver. After removing the bad board, I was able to diagnose the problem. The board was fine. Metal filings from the destroyed screws had fallen inside and were shorting some connections together. Aftermath. 
I kicked Kevin out of the assembly lab and spent the rest of the day removing all the boards, cleaning out the metal shavings and then correctly reinstalling them. They all passed their tests. By the time I was finished, we had missed the last shipping pickup for the day, so the units had to be shipped out the following Monday. The CEO blamed me for the delay, because it was apparently my fault, not Kevin's, that the units were not ready on time. So it wasn't mentioned in this story. I mean, you got a sign on the wall, you've got manuals, you've got all the obvious Phillips bits and tips removed and screwdrivers, uh, power drills removed or power screwdrivers removed. There should have been a warning signal going off in Kevin's head that said, wait a minute, why is all this stuff missing? Let's make a phone call. Why do we have no Phillips? And then maybe re-explain it. Was Kevin filled in? In the beginning, did somebody say, hey, look at these signs. They're serious. No Phillips bits, tips, powered screwdrivers, nothing. Or did somebody just throw him in there like the CEO and just let him have at it? That's, it sounds like the latter, honestly. When I used to run construction sites, we had this one laborer and we were trying to teach him skills so that he could move up in the company and do things other than push a broom and clean stuff up and tote lumber back and forth, you know, he wanted to learn and that was cool. I like it when people want to learn stuff and I'm willing to teach them if they'll listen and if they can get it. We let this guy run some drywall screws one day. Now, we were using regular drills at the time because we were only putting a few sheets up. We didn't need a drywall screw gun with the, you know, the spring-loaded tip that you can set and all that stuff. And I don't usually set the clutch on these because... I don't know. I just have a feel for it. I know I know when to stop. This guy evidently, two problems. One, he didn't know when to stop, and he would drive the screw through the paper on the face of the drywall, which makes that screw useless. It holds nothing if it actually breaks the paper. Basically, you just want a little indentation when that screw goes in. The second thing is, this guy, my size. He was my size guy, but he didn't have enough power behind him in his back, his shoulder, his arm, wrist, whatever, he could not, for some reason, get a good grip on these screws. Give him a brand new Phillips tip and put it in a nice brand new screw. The lock, it should be a pretty positive lock in there. But this guy, every screw he touched, you could hear the, the screw bit just running in that screw, stripping it out. Because he wasn't putting enough ass behind it to get it drilled into the wall. I, I don't understand. He just couldn't get it through his head. Uh, same thing with nails. You give him something to nail up, like, you know, we were building a wooden header on a house, and, and we didn't have nail guns at that time um, for some reason. I don't remember. They were out, but we didn't have we didn't have any on our truck. So we were hand-nailing everything, you know, nice big 22-ounce hammer and, you know, some 16-penny framing nails and just boom, boom, boom. He couldn't get the idea behind swinging a hammer. He couldn't get the mechanics of it. Dude, by the end of the day, complained about tennis elbow and his shoulder was sore. And he was basically choking up on his hammer and trying to drive him in that way. Like he was punching him instead of letting the hammer, you know, do the job for him. But some people just shouldn't be around tools. And if you want to hear more about Kevin's and inept employees and cranky customers, go ahead and click on this video right here. See ya.